Uh, today's scripture is from 1 John, verse, uh, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21. God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his only son uh, into the world that we might live through him. This is his love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that jesus is the son of god god lives in him and he in god and so we know and rely on the love of god has for us god is love whoever lives in love lives in god and god in him in this way Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you. Boys and girls, would you please come forward for a children's message? There we go. All right. <laughs> Good morning, boys and girls. So we've been talking a lot in church lately about community and love, right? And we're going to continue this morning. You've learned that love is the most important thing and matters most, right? And you've learned to reach out together. This morning we're going to talk about the, that we belong together. 1 Corinthians 13.7 tells us four things about love. It tells us that love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. So what do you think it means that love always protects? If you protect somebody in love, what does it mean, Jackson? 
Yeah. You help them survive. Yeah. Like if you see someone who's hurt, you help them. Yeah. Any other ideas? How do you help? How do you help protect somebody? How do you show love by helping protect somebody, Omri? You pray for them. That's a good one. Yeah. What if you see someone being teased at school? How would you protect them? You stand up for them. Yeah. Yep. Well, Corinthians also tells us that love always trusts. How can we love by trusting one another? You know how we can trust one another? Well, I think we can trust one another by always believing the best in one another, right? And always being there for each other. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, the third thing it tells us is that love always hopes. How can we hope for each other? How can you hope for someone? Or hope in someone? Give them flowers? Yeah. (laughs) Are you happy for each other when, when someone accomplishes something? What if your brother or your sister has a big social studies test this week? Would love hope that your brother or sister wouldn't do well, or would love hope that they do do well? That they get it all right? Yeah, what if it means that, what if you also have a social studies test, but you don't do well this week? Should you be jealous that your brother did do well? No. Love tells us that we always hope in the success of others, and we, we cheer each other on, so you can cheer your brother on that he got a good grade, even when you didn't. And the fourth thing that we learn from Corinthians 13 is that love always perseveres. Do you guys ever um, have a big, tough project ahead and you just want to give up? Do you ever feel like giving up on something? Yeah? (laughs) What happens when you don't give up, though, and you finish? You're happy about it, aren't you? Yeah. Is it easy to be a friend to someone when things are going well and to love others when things are going well? Yeah? What about when times are tough? and it's not going so well, and maybe you're mad at another person, is it easy to love them then? No. Nope. But if we have the love that Jesus wants us to, we are there in good times and in bad. Like I said, we always belong to one another. As believers in Christ, we belong to a body of believers. And I have an illustration here to show you, so I think I have some kids ready to help me out here. Do you guys know the story of the paralyzed man? Don't you guys... Okay, just lay it down, though. Let's lay it this way. Actually, you four friends can go stand over there, okay? All right, Aubrey's going to be our paralyzed man, okay? All right. Do you guys know the story of the paralyzed man? You guys can't see it over here. If you want to move down, you can. So there's a story in the Bible about a paralyzed man who couldn't move, and he just laid on his rug, right? Okay, but... His friends found out that Jesus was preaching in the area, and they wanted to take him to go get healed. Ephraim, come here. Just... But look at this. Ephraim, can you... let's just pretend that Jesus is out in the fellowship hall, and you know if you can get your paralyzed friend to the fellowship hall, that Aubrey will be healed. Go ahead. Can you carry her? <laughs> it doesn't work so well, does it? No. Now let's get all the friends over here. Oh, just a second, Jackson. Now, you don't actually have to carry your butt. What happens when you all work together to lift her up? 
Can you do it? That works better, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, you can gently put her down. <laughs> All right, now, could the paralyzed man get himself to Jesus? No. Could one friend get the paralyzed man to Jesus? No. It would have been pretty difficult. But when they all worked together, they got their friend to Jesus, and they lifted him down through the roof. And you know what Jesus said to the paralyzed man? He said, because of the faith, their faith, because of the faith of your friends, you are healed. So let's just recap Corinthians. Do you think, think about the friends. Did their love protect the paralyzed man? In what way? How, Jackson? He, they helped him, didn't they? Did their love trust each other? What if, what if uh, Ephraim would have dropped his corner of the rug? That wouldn't have worked, would it? So all the four friends had to trust each other to, to, to hold their corner of the rug. Did their love hope for their friend? Were they hoping their friend would get healed? Yeah. And did their love persevere? Think about it. The easy thing for them to do would have been, we're going to go see Jesus. We'll be back. You stay here, we'll be back. But they persevered, didn't they? They brought their friend to Jesus. So what I want you to remember this morning that we've been talking about is love is not necessarily a feeling. It's a choice. They made a choice to help their friend, and they acted upon that choice. And they um, had the, the kind of love that Jesus commands us to have, to, to help protect, trust, hope, and persevere. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for each of these children this morning, and I thank you that you love each one of us and that you came to earth to show us how to serve one another. Lord, I pray that we would learn from your example to love others as you love us. Show us how we can love our friends, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, by protecting them, trusting in each other, hoping for each other, and persevering even when times are tough. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Amy. Well, let's create um, some space, silent space, to uh, prepare our hearts to continue to reflect on these themes. So let's pray. Amen. When we watch, or if you watch, car races, the immediate focus is always on the car and on the driver. They're navigating their way around through a, with a pack around a track. And I did a little search on the internet for what it takes to be a race car driver.
The skills needed include car control, situational awareness, um, race craft. I don't know what that means, but the craft of racing, engineering competence, patience, balance, and discipline. Now when a car wins a race, the person that gets all the attention and gets all the glory is the driver. But we know that behind the driver is a whole team of people that he or she is dependent on. There are his or her sponsors, engineers who develop the race car, and then there's the pit crew. The NASCAR website indicates there are six different members who actually work the pit stop, and then six others who are around it part of the crew, as part of the crew. All of them are involved with changing tires, supplying gas, making evaluations, judgments on the vehicle, and they try to do it within 12 seconds. Now the goal, of course, is to win the race. Now obviously, there are many of you here who know much more about this than I do. But one thing I do know is there is a similarity between how racing works and how the church accomplishes its mission. God created the church and he's commissioned us to reach out to people who are seeking and to connect and grow spiritually. We're called to serve and minister to the needs of people and each other, to worship together, and to fellowship as a family. Now this week in our 40 days of community campaign, we're talking about how we are chosen to fellowship together. All the other purposes of the church, its mission, its ministry, its worship, its making disciples, are all dependent on healthy fellowship healthy, connected fellowship. The fellowship of the church is like a team uh, of the pit crew, the engineers, the sponsors and drivers, in that the fellowship is the home base. This is where we equip each other and support each other. It's where we, um, to, we undergird all the other purposes of making disciples and outreach and worshiping. So in fellowship together, we bring together our unique spiritual gifts, our abilities and personalities and life experiences to form a team, to be a team. The Christian church is a network of relationships. While the church needs to have rules and policies, essentially, we are built on relationships, not on rules. Only when a church has healthy relationships can it function to fulfill our commission from Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at four things that break down relationships and their opposites which we need to build relationships. We need each other. And God intends for us to experience life and ministry together. We cannot, without the fellowship, grow. 
We cannot grow spiritually. We cannot grow numerically. We cannot fulfill our purposes. So what makes it work and not work? The Bible narrows down relationship problems to the result of four basic things. One or more of these four things. And the first problem we face is selfishness. Selfishness breaks down relationships. This is probably the number one cause of conflicts, of arguments, of divorce, of war. James 4 verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, your expectations that battle within you? You want something but don't get it, so you quarrel and you fight. We all know this. So why can't we change? Why can't we be more unselfish? Well, one answer to that is because of our inherent sinful nature. And that's at the root of our sinful nature, is selfishness. We are naturally selfish. It's human nature. We all think that we're the center of the universe. Self-centeredness creates destructive things. It breaks down teamwork. I, it's always interesting to me how these professional basketball teams are just loaded with incredible talent. They have the best players in the world. And yet there are some teams that they can't win. And the reason they can't win is they're all in it for themselves. I, I'm going to do the, for what's, I'm going to do on this team what's best for me. In their contracts, they have to have so many minutes on the court, and they have to have so many touches of the ball. Proverbs 28, 25 says, "He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife." Selfishness causes trouble. Selflessness builds relationships. Philippians 2.4 says, Look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Selflessness brings out the best in others. It creates an environment for teamwork and for success. And here's the deal. The place that God wants to teach us how to be selfless is in our families, our marriages, with the people we work with and go to school with, and the church. These are the incubators where God teaches us how to be unselfish. We have to learn how to give and take, how to get along with people who are different than us. This is where we learn it. Now there's a principle in Galatians 6. I'm going to read this scripture. Paul writes, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's the principle. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, to please his selfishness, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows or plants to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary then in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, 
especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And Paul applies it to our relationships and doing good to one another. God rewards selflessness. The greatest lesson that all of us have to learn in life is learning to be unselfish. And God has been unselfish with us. He showed that by giving us his son that we may be redeemed and have an eternal life. Sowing and reaping of Galatians 6 tells us selflessness is a process. It's something we grow into. It's something that we sow or plant over and over and over. And do not give up because at the proper time we reap the benefits. Selfishness is the first thing that breaks down relationships. And selflessness is what builds them. Secondly, and closely related, is pride. Pride breaks down relationships while humility builds them. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, pride is sneaky. It shows up in a lot of different ways. Maybe the most obvious is being judgmental and critical of others, looking down on other people with an attitude of superiority. That reveals a pride problem. When we're always competitive, we're always comparing ourselves with other people, when we always have to win, we have a pride problem. Stubbornness, finding it difficult to say, I'm sorry, reveals a pride problem. Always having to be right. And if you have shallow relationships, and if you keep everything superficial in your life, never letting anyone get close to you, there's a pride issue. Are you the person who's always offering advice, but never ask for advice? See, the problem with pride is it's self-deceiving. Everybody else can see it, but we can't. We get blinded to our arrogance. And, and in the process, we break down relationships. If you can never apologize, if you're always judgmental, if you're aloof. Now, humility, obviously, is the antidote to pride. Humility builds relationships. 1 Peter 3.8 has a concise description of humility. And Peter writes, All of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers and sisters, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. He begins with, Live in harmony. That's what God wants in the church. He wants relationships that are harmonious. Now this does not mean we're all to be exactly alike. God is a God of diversity. A God uh, of who, who, who created all the complexity and wonder of the world. And that includes our personalities and our persons. 
We can't be all the same. We're to be in harmony like a choir, like the bell choir or a singing choir, an orchestra, and they're playing different instruments and singing at different levels. Harmony is a single melody in a song that is supported by additional strands and notes, either above or below the melody line, that is pleasing to each other. Now, I, that's, we're going to have an example here. We've got a little video, three girls who are going to sing and show us the difference between just singing and singing in harmony. So let's play that now. we all know this instinctively but the harmony the harmony is what we want in the church we want the diversity and complexity uh, uh, to, to, to work together towards the same end singing the same song but in harmony we have to do it that way because God made us all different and the way we do it is with humility that's what makes it work Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. No one has done anything more humble than Jesus himself. God coming from heaven to earth to live for us, to give his life for us, to be resurrected for us. Relationship busters, selfishness and pride, countered by unselfishness and humility. Then there's a third struggle. We all face, it's harder to admit maybe, but it's insecurity. Insecurity breaks down relationships. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord, 
is kept safe. Fear of what other people think of us because of our insecurities cripple us. When we're afraid of what other people think, what we tend to do is try to control other people. We try to control each other. And when we're trying to control people in our lives, it's really about insecurity. You know, human beings, we have an amazing dilemma. All of us long and want to be close to other people. And at the same time, we fear being close to other people. We want intimacy, but we fear intimacy. And insecurity is what prevents emotional connection. You can't get close to someone if there's a fear in the relationship. Fear of the others finding out what you're really like. So we put on a mask. We hide ourselves. We, we pretend to be someone that we're not. This is one of the oldest fears in humankind. It started, it goes all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.10. I was afraid, Adam said to God, because I was naked and so I hid. They had sinned, they had rebelled, and fear came into human life. You know, it's interesting to me how many people in our culture are not afraid of physical nakedness. They, they will dress immodestly, they want to show off their body parts. But most people, even the same people, are scared to death of emotional nakedness. What if somebody understands and finds out the things that I fear in life, the things that are my faults, my dark side? Fear makes us dishonest. It causes us to build walls. We fear being rejected. You know, we all know what it's like. We know that hurt of being rejected. We don't want to be hurt, so we protect ourselves. God knows what this feels like. If anyone understands rejection, it's Jesus. He faced the ultimate rejection from his own people and was murdered. But friends, nobody is meant to go through life with secrets. In fact, there's a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. If you're living in fear, you're not really living. We need people in our lives that we can disclose to, that we can feel safe and be accepted and be ourselves. That doesn't mean we have to be that way with everybody, but we all need a network. We need a small group. And what builds relationships is love. From our scripture, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Love expels fear. And when you and I are confident of God's love for us, we can be who we are, and we can take risks in disclosing ourselves. Because ultimately, we are loved and accepted in the grace of God. 
When we're living in the love of God, we can take the focus off ourselves. And then we can focus on other people. That's what makes a difference. You know, people ask me after 30 plus years if I still get anxious when I come up here to preach. And the answer is yes. But what I have learned that makes a difference for me is that when I get the focus off myself and I start thinking about you and focus on you, I can relax. When I start thinking about how I care about you and I want to give you a message that will feed your soul and build your faith, I'm not thinking about my anxiety. When we focus on other people, we have the power to get rid of fear. But it starts with realizing how much God loves you. That He loves you more than you can ever imagine. When we are unconditionally loved, when our identity and self-worth is established in our relationship with Christ, we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody. We don't have to try to impress people. We're free. 1 John 4, 16, and so we know and rely, underline that word, rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Underline rely. Underline lives in. When we are trusting in and living in the love of God, insecurity will go away. And then fourth and finally, there's resentment. Resentment breaks down relationships and forgiveness builds relationships. Job 5.2 says, Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. Friends, because all of us are sinners, we have a selfish nature, we're imperfect human beings, we are going to hurt other people and we are going to get hurt. It may be unintentional. It may be intentional. But we all get hurt. It's a fact. And what's important is what we do with it. What do we do with that hurt? Are we going to allow that hurt to make us a better person? Or are we going to allow it to make us bitter and resentful? And it's not always the big things in life that make us resentful, though those do and can. I'm not minimizing that, but it can also be a lot of little things. Things that just pile up in our relationship and we get irritated and that irritation turns into resentment. Common irritations, like the person who talks too long and too much or the person who's always late, or the too much information person, or the person who's dogmatic and says, this is the way it is and there's no other way to look at it, or the insensitive person who jokes at the wrong time, the critical negative person. All those things can build up and become annoyance and lead to resentment. Resentment is piling up anger in your spirit. It becomes frozen in your soul. 
Resentment begins to color our thinking. And we start to react to things. We start taking things personally that aren't meant to be personal. Hebrews 12.15 warns us, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, resentment, when it takes root, can become infectious and contagious and start to affect all, a whole group, a whole church. The antidote is forgiveness. Forgiveness builds relationships just like resentment tears it down. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other, that's tolerance, that's tolerating things in each other, and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why should we forgive other people? Well, for one thing, it doesn't work. Resentment doesn't work. It doesn't accomplish anything. Actually, all it does is make you miserable. Holding on to a grudge only hurts you with your own anger. So when we forgive, we're doing it for ourselves. We also forgive because, as it says in Colossians, we've been forgiven by God. Forgiveness is a response to His grace. And we forgive because we are going to need forgiveness in the future. So we offer it to one another. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. What we say in this prayer is, God, I want you to forgive me as much as I forgive other people. Now, do we really want that? No. <laughs> Amen. We forgive because God says we need to forgive. Forgiveness is not making excuses for the person that hurt you. It's not minimizing your pain. It's not doing that. Forgiveness is not saying what was done to you wasn't wrong. It was wrong. Forgiveness is letting go of resentment and letting go of the right to get even. We do it for our own spiritual health. Some of us still allow people from the past to keep hurting us in the now, in the present. Every time we hold a grudge, we're creating our own pain. Person who hurt you, they can't hurt you anymore. Now, nobody deserves forgiveness. None of us deserve God's forgiveness. Resentment turns our hearts into a wilderness. It dries us up emotionally. Leave justice to God. Four human weaknesses that work against relationships. Selfishness, pride, insecurity, and resentment. The four counterpoints, unselfishness, humility, love, and forgiveness. All four of these things are found in a relationship with Jesus. We cannot overcome these toxins in relationships that break down relationships on our own strength, in our own resource. I, I think the world, I mean, we just look at the news that proves that. 
We need the grace of God working within us. We need to allow Jesus to be our Lord, to be our manager, to let Him fill us with Himself and His love and His power. And that will make our relationships grow. So as we close this morning, I want to ask four questions. Number one, who do you need to be more unselfish with? Who have you been relating to in an, a very selfish way you've been making a lot of demands on, putting a lot of pressure on? Second, who have you been acting superior to and critical of and putting them down and being judgmental? Third, have you been afraid of being real with some people that are close to you in your life? People you are hiding from. Where you, is there a place you need to take a risk and be open? And then fourth and finally, is there someone with whom you are resisting, admitting that you were wrong? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And who you need to forgive. I leave you with those questions and let the Holy Spirit do with it as He desires. But let's close by praying and asking God to build our relationships. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, you've seen every relationship each of us have ever had. Those that have been good, those who have been those that have been bad, and those that have been ugly. You know how selfishness and pride and insecurity and resentment messes up our relationships. And we admit that we need you. We need your help in our lives and in relating. So as much as we can understand, we ask you, Lord, to come into our lives and live through us and put your love in us and fill us with the fullness of God because God is love. And may that fullness overflow with selflessness and humility and love and forgiveness here in the church, in our marriages, our families, with our co-workers and friends and students. And may it all be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.